Well, it wasn't pretty, but UVA snapped its losing slide with a Thursday night victory. Now the Hokies will try to do the same. All that and betting tips from Mike Svetis of Front Page Bets, this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 94 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 14-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you, my friend? Good afternoon. So I understand you got to spend a little time in Richmond. You and I, for the listeners who don't know, uh, though we both work for the Times-Dispatch, neither <laughs> of us live in the wonderful capital city, but get to visit from time to time. Uh, am I correct? You got you got to visit Richmond? <laughs> yeah, I went, went up Saturday morning, took my daughter and met some of my dear friends from high school who were in town for a wedding and uh, grabbed some lunch and just uh, strolled around the city for a little bit. Very nice. We're we're contemplating uh, where we're going to take the kids on, on Friday. They're off from school. We're going to take them to the zoo. Uh, Michael Phillips, our esteemed sports editor, has informed me that you can, you can hand feed the giraffes uh, at oh. the zoo outside of Richmond. And once that came up with my kids, uh, it became a must, must see. So we're going to, we're going to take them over and, and do that on Friday. And then actually, you know, it's funny, I'll, I don't get to spend much time in Richmond, but be there Friday for the zoo. And then I'll be back on Sunday. John Laser, the former voice of the Hokies and I, uh, are playing in a pickleball tournament together, uh, that they have there in Richmond. The, the annual pickleboo tournament will be, uh, taking a shot at, at that. So I'll get my, my Richmond time in this weekend. Very nice. Now, we need to whisper this about hand-feeding the giraffe because if Tiny Teal gets wind of this, we are <laughs> going to be on the next train to Richmond. Well, let her know. giraffes are her fave at the zoo. Oh, well, let her know and come meet us on Friday because <laughs> that is uh, – yeah, yeah, that we're we're very much looking forward to it. They've supposedly got a train you can ride around uh, to, which my son loves trains. So we're going to take the train around through the safari animals, stop at this perch where you get the seed or, or whatever. I you know shows my knowledge of, of animals. I have no idea what giraffes eat. Uh, <laughs> if you told me to feed a giraffe, I would either bring lettuce or I would bring steak because those are the two things that animals eat. Right? They either eat vegetation or they eat meat. Um, so I'll be very curious what it is that we're feeding these giraffes, but the kids are very much uh, looking forward to that and, and should be fun. And then, you know, John and I are, are very much looking forward to getting our backsides handed to us by people who know this emerging sport of pickleball a little better than is it, we do. Is it fair to call it emerging anymore? It's there, isn't yeah, it? I guess it's, yeah, you're right. I mean, a couple of pro leagues, uh, some real big name backers. And uh, it's been interesting just in, in, you know, I live in Charlottesville in the sea it kind of take over the community and, and, you know, start to rival tennis in terms of fighting over court space uh, and towns and cities are having to make decisions on uh, whether or not, you know, you're going to have a tennis court or a pickleball court. And uh, the Washington post just did a big story and mm -hmm. uh, went in depth into, into some of that, uh, the little culture war there, but, but how the, the sport has just grown and uh, it's a lot of fun. We're, we're having a lot of fun with it again. I don't know how competitive we'll be. I, I've spent more time reading texts from John about uh, what we're going to wear for Halloween outfits during the tournament 
than I have anything strategic. So that might tell you our outlook in, in, in this tournament, uh, that we've been a little bit more worried about being festive, but uh, it should be a lot of fun. And, and if it goes well, we'll talk about it the following week on the podcast. <laughs> and if it goes poorly, I'll go back and erase this episode entirely and never, <laughs> never acknowledge that it happened. Well, sometimes things go poorly, David, but you still get a win. And <laughs> I think that, that might sum up Virginia uh, Thursday night. That was a very ugly, bordering on unwatchable football game. But it Virginia was, was right? Brutal. It brutal. was rough on the eyes, man. <laughs> it really, truly, I mean, and from the beginning, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right Right from the onset. And it's funny because, you know, Georgia Tech, obviously, um, they started by having their first punt pressured horrifically up the middle. They got it off. And then they end the night on a play that I'm sure we'll get into a little more, but where they, <laughs> yeah, one last chance for, for victory and, and their quarterback uh, tucks it and runs out of bounds as the clock strikes zero. Um, and then his answer afterward was sort of, Hey, you know, there, there wasn't anything there. <laughs> it's like, Hey, you've got nothing to lose at that point, but yeah, right. uh, ugly for Georgia tech, but David uh, ugly for the winning team, uh, Virginia with the turnovers, with the special teams disasters, not exactly lighting up the scoreboard. They get the win. That's massive. That's progress. All of those things. The defense was outstanding. Uh, Nick Jackson, an Atlanta kid in his homecoming. Chico Bennett, who yeah. was named uh, ACC Defensive Lineman of the Week. He's a Georgia Tech transfer. Massive game in his homecoming. Each of them had, I believe, seven tackles and two sacks. Uh, but David, those were the highlights. <laughs> the rest was, as you mentioned, pretty rough. It, it truly was. And, and Mike, you mentioned... Um... You know, Bennett and Jackson each having two sacks. And Virginia had eight for, yeah. for the game, which is only one off the school record uh, that they set against Duke, I believe, back in 2006, I want to say, in, in that range, the school record being nine. But dominant defensively and needed to be, uh, as, as it turned out. Brennan Armstrong threw a pick six early on, which was Georgia Tech's lone touchdown. And then uh, an interception later, you know, Lavelle Davis drops a touchdown pass, has a procedure call down in the red zone. And then you mentioned special teams. Lord Oof. have mercy. Yes, that special was... teams was as ugly. And Lavelle Davis continued his hit parade with a penalty on special teams uh, when he got called for leaping. In, yes. over player, in an attempt to block the punt, which um, I feel like at this point we know that that's against the rules. Like I remember when it became a thing and, and it happened mm -hmm. and um, was it Sean Merriman with the Chargers? Uh, kind, of kind, of, kind of made a <laughs> briefly made a living off that. And then, and then the rules sort of all changed and um, for good reason, right? You go up in the air with all those guys underneath you, who knows how you come down. Um, but uh, yeah, just another penalty. They had a blocked punt. They had a missed extra point, a pair of missed field goals, I believe. Yes. Uh, just if it could go wrong on special teams, it did for Virginia. And that's you know very alarming because Tony Elliott talks a lot about playing complimentary football. And I said, this wasn't complimentary. This was insulting football. <laughs> the defense put out a great effort and the offense and the special teams did very, very little to back them up. Yeah, it really did. And Mike, I think this is a fair question. If Jeff Sims doesn't get hurt, does Virginia mm. win the game? Yeah, and, and I, I thought the announcers maybe overmade that point. Okay. <laughs> it, it felt like on TV they, they were maybe Georgia Tech fans in the booth, but <laughs> you are completely correct. I think it's a different ballgame. 
Um, is it fair to say that Virginia's not going to get all those sacks? I think it's fair to say the pressure is pressure, right? The pressure is going to be there, but that's what Sims does is he gets yes. away from the pressure. He's a little more experienced, might throw some balls away and um, taking nothing away from their defensive effort. Yeah, absolutely. The fact that you win that way, they didn't have their best player. Um, this wasn't a tour de force performance by Virginia as a team, uh, but it was a win, which they needed. And, and uh, Sim's status going forward, they still don't know. They certainly desperately need need him healthy and, and in the lineup. Yeah, because the Gibson, I felt sorry for him. Yeah. He, he was overwhelmed by the moment. He was overwhelmed by Virginia's defensive line. And I, don't, I think it's fair to say he panicked. On, mm-hmm. on more than one occasion, and after a while, you just felt badly for him because you knew how it was going to end. Right. Although I would say this, because we just saw this game, when Louisville came to Virginia, right. I thought their backup quarterback looked exactly the same for two drives and then figured it out. And Thursday night, Georgia Tech's backup, he, he never figured it out. He never yeah. got comfortable. True, truly did not. You know, we're seeing it all around the league, how important backup quarterbacks are. Yeah, and, and we may very well see it uh, again this week where, where Miami uh, comes to Virginia and Tyler Van Dyke. I don't know if you've seen anything more recent, but the last I saw his, his status was up in the air, uncertain. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I know he has not had the year maybe some were projecting. The guy's still capable of throwing for 400-plus yards. and Yes, he did, three, like four, he did five. against Carolina. Exactly. So, um, you know, everybody loves when you know, you're a fan or you're a critic to say, well, I've been playing all that well anyway. Well, Miami's better with Tyler Van Dyke in the lineup. I don't think there's any question about that. No, and you could tell Saturday against Duke how much they missed him once he went down. And you talk about a train wreck Hmm. performance, eight turnovers for Miami on Saturday at home against Duke. ESPN had a stat, Mike. It's the most turnovers by an ACC team since Carolina had nine in 2002, two decades. And oh, by the way, that's three consecutive losses at home for Miami in a single season for the first time since 2007. It's not the start that Mario Cristobal was looking Mm. for, right? I mean, and again, we all get sucked into every time there's a coaching change or a a key player transfer in, or uh, De'Aaron King came back for the extra year, and and everybody wants to say the U is back, and um, we usually end up with egg all over our faces. But I expected this team to be much better than what I've seen. And, and you know, with all due respect to Duke, I didn't think this was a Miami team that could get absolutely shredded by Duke. And it is. <laughs> and uh, makes me very curious what we're going to see on Saturday. Uh, you know, from a Virginia team that it's funny, every time I talk to, to you know, out of town media or uh, fans of an opponent, they, everybody's got the same thought about Virginia, man, they're going to put it together at some mm-hmm. point, And I yeah. hope it isn't against us. And Hey, this one feels like as good a date as any, right? For Brendan Armstrong and this offense to, to put it together. I agree. And you know, I don't want to be too rough on the Canes, Mike, but Miami does not have a it's the encouraging history when it comes to adversity. This is this is a program that for years now, since joining the league really back in 2004, that during a season when things get a little sideways, 
the Hurricanes do not respond well. And it, it's not a coaching thing because it's been the same way through all the coaching staffs. I, I don't know what it is there. Maybe the expectations are so high and the tradition is such that once those guys figure out, oh, we're not going to the college football playoff or we're not going to win a national championship, they check out. Yeah, and you're absolutely right about the coaching. It's a fascinating part of their culture, for lack of a better term, because every coach comes in and they talk about establishing their own culture or changing the culture. And that has survived coaching change after coaching change after coaching change. That sense of it's boom or bust, right, at Miami. It's all or nothing at Miami. And and it's fascinating. And they, they are shaky right now. Virginia certainly has the pieces right to be capable of you feel like when Miami's on a side like this if you punch them early that can really set the tone right you come out and you say we're going to play well today and then maybe Miami says we're not going to bother showing up then yeah I'm I'm fascinated to see what comrade Sevitz says to you about this game because Miami's favored (laughs) I mean really Two and a half point favorite, which again, and you know, Mike and I, we'll get into it, but we've talked all year about the fact that, hey, Vegas right now has no confidence in Virginia or Virginia Tech to win football games. And I don't blame them. But to your point, some of these matchups are against teams that Vegas should also have no confidence in. Right. Uh, so what do you do when it's, you, we always joke about this, right? You talk about practice, you get better when it's good on good. Your best, your offensive starters against your defensive starters. Well, this schedule has just been a lot of bad on bad. <laughs> bad football teams playing other bad football teams, getting together to play some bad football. And then Vegas, what do you got? And, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very fascinating. The hope is, and I was impressed at times with Virginia offensively. Virginia's thing is they just keep shooting themselves in the foot, whether it's drop passes, whether it's turnovers, whether it's penalties, they move the ball until they get in their own way. So is there going to be a game where they don't, I mean, Brendan Armstrong's pick six, you know, that's a ball that tipped off the receiver's hands, Keaton Thompson's hands. Some of that is bad luck, right? Some of that is a bad break, but it keeps happening and happening and happening. And, you know, I went, I went and kind of did a little bit of a deep dive on, on, because we keep banging on the coaches saying they need to adjust. They need to let Armstrong cut loose a little more. And David, I, I was expecting a bigger disparity here. Maybe, maybe you weren't, but I went back and Brendan Armstrong is averaging 35.1 passes per game this season. Mm-hmm. Last year, when he put up all that, 45.5. So 10 passes more a game. I thought it was going to be a, a bigger gap than that, honestly. Um, not that 10 throws a game isn't a big deal, uh, especially when you add in 10 throws a game fewer, and now his receivers are dropping balls. Right. Um, but it, it's not like they've completely you know, tied down Brendan Armstrong in the passing game. No, and I found it interesting, Mike, and I know you, you mentioned this in the column you wrote, they ran Armstrong more. Mm-hmm. against Georgia Tech. 13 carries, right? Yep. And David, that's the most he's carried the football by design. So I'm, I'm taking the yeah. sacks out of it. Right. Right. So that's the most, you know, called runs or scramble runs for him this season. He's rushed for a touchdown in each of the past three games. Three touchdowns rushing for Brendan Armstrong in the last three games. They've only scored six in the last yeah. three games. So he's run for half their touchdowns. Uh, I think there was a sense of, hey, we want to establish the traditional run game. We want all the things that we banged on the previous coaches for not doing. And I think now there's a desperation. And, and maybe where I was thinking desperate times means you're going to have to let Armstrong throw it 50 times. 
I think they're thinking desperate times means we just need to keep the ball in, in Brennan's hands. Now, there was a point of the season where he was struggling with fumbles too. So that right. doesn't come without risk. But I, I think you and I are of the same mind in this area. Brennan Armstrong is the best football player at Virginia. That's the guy you want to kind of go down with. Absolutely. And, and I know there were, were fumble issues and I I know a big deal was made out of the the red zone lost fumble mm-hmm. against Louisville. But, you know, I, I watched that one and he had both arms around that ball and the defender just hit him a lick with a, with the helmet on the ball. And I'm like, what else is the guy supposed to do? Yeah. And that's what I mean about the bad luck. And, and I'm not saying that they are where they are because of bad luck. They've done plenty wrong, but there's just enough moments where you think maybe they'll be okay, where bad luck kind of bites them. And, and when you're already biting yourself with drops and penalties and turnovers and all these, and then you get a little bit of bad luck, things can get ugly uh, in a hurry. And um, I think that stung Virginia. I think that stung Virginia Tech, certainly this year. I mean, just start with the opener and that bad snap against Old Dominion, right? And I mean, there are times, David, when I think about Virginia Tech this year, and it feels like that snap is still rolling away from them, right? That they've spent the entire season trying to fall on that damn football and have never quite recovered. Uh, they had the open date. Now they had the open date. They're going to play at NC State uh, on Thursday night in Raleigh. Uh, no Devin Leary, not really the Wolfpack team that, that maybe we thought. Um, I know I went in this year thinking this is the year that NC State could could maybe dethrone Clemson. Still a great defense, an yes. unbelievable group of linebackers. Yep. Um, to me, this is an interesting one because NC State can still have a great season, but how do they feel now that they're sans their star quarterback and they're not going to be you know, dethroning Clemson this year? Where is their motivation level? It's a great question. And you know, coming off the 24 to nine loss at Syracuse, where they did not score a touchdown, it was all Christopher Dunn field goals. By the way, he has not missed this year. So if it comes down to a field goal, the Hokies are in big trouble. Well, except for the fact that you just jinxed him. Yeah. Uh, Isn't that how that works? Yes. And and he's like 14 for 14 too. It's not like he's only had six or eight chances, but you know, I I was, I was reading uh, Annabelle Myers game notes, the SID at NC state. And I did not realize this Jack chambers, who's now their starting quarterback have you ever heard of a Power Five graduate transfer walk-on? That's what Jack Chambers is. Came from Charleston Southern. He was second team all Big South last year, transferred to NC State in May, and he is walking on. And I'm guessing they're glad to have him now, considering that Leary's done. I was going to say, does he get now retroactively? I know it's hard with the scholarship numbers, right. but uh, maybe they can get him some NIL money or something because uh, he's certainly earning it because he is the guy. And, you know, it's not the NFL. You're not going to go out and grab somebody off somebody else's practice squad or, uh, you know, some great quarterback who retired a year. And, and is this is what they're going with. And um, again, though, I mentioned that defense. <laughs> They've got enough on that defense to carry them through. Um, mm-hmm. Again, not what we expected, right? We thought this could be a, a breakthrough year for Dave Dorn in that program, but that's a defense that could still get them to 10 wins this year, David. It is. You know, they, they've still got some dicey games ahead. You know, they still got to play the Deacons. And how about Dave Clawson? He's got them in the top 10 again this year. Yeah. This is two years in a row. Wake Forest has never been in the top 10 before last season. Yeah. And, you know, now that there they sit again and only a double overtime loss 
against Clemson as as a blemish on the record and state still has to play the Tar Heels at, at the end of the season. If, if NC state could get to 10, you know, given the situation at quarterback and given the remaining schedule, that would be a hell of an accomplishment. No, no doubt. No doubt. And I, and I do, I do think they have uh, the defense for it. And I do think it comes down to the motivation, right? Are they, are they up for it? now? It's a little easier, I think, to get up for Thursday night. Um, that, that always helps Thursday night at home. And, uh, you know, Virginia Tech, there's some ties there with that program. Charlie Wiles, yeah. uh, the defensive line coach at NC State, uh, certainly a long time Frank Beamer, Bud Foster assistant at Virginia Tech. And uh, this has a chance to be a great game. I, I'll be curious to see. We've seen some teams in the conference use their open date to really, I don't want to say change their identity, but but really make adjustments uh, mm-hmm. dramatically this year. Uh, what will Virginia Tech have accomplished in their open date? How will Grant Wells look coming out? Uh, what will be the plan uh, at running back with the running game? I'm curious to see what Virginia Tech team emerges on the on the opposite side of their open date here. 100%, especially because Brent Pride made no bones about it after the Miami loss. He thinks they've been too vanilla on offense. So what does not vanilla look like after an open date. And and can Virginia Tech, Mike, and Brent Pry had his weekly presser today, Monday, earlier than usual because of the Thursday night kickoff. And I asked him about this because through seven games, Virginia Tech has five takeaways. And that's untenable when your offense is as limited as the Hokies is. And they're getting no help from their special teams. Their average starting field position against Miami, they had the ball 12 times. Their average starting field position was their own 19 yards. Mm. That's an offense not built for 81-yard drives. No. They've and, got to create some short fields somehow, some way. Yeah, although, David, I got to tell you, when I, I just listened to you talking there, and the offense isn't really built for much. And the defense isn't getting takeaways and they're getting nothing from the special teams. And I wonder if that just doesn't equal the fact that this isn't a very good team. team. You know what? And I don't mean to bang on them, but we're not talking, right? We're not talking about, hey, they've got to start hitting deep balls or, hey, they got to. We're talking about everything about this team isn't very good. And how can they kind of pull a rabbit out of the hat? Um, And again, it'll be interesting because you're absolutely right about the comments from Pry, where he he indicated that, you know, from we talked about this last week, from a defensive standpoint, he views their offense as predictable. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot of fans would agree. Um, Now, is it predictable by design or is Tyler Bowen and that staff, are they limited by what pieces they have? Yeah. Right. You know, I think everybody has visions of what they would do as an offensive coordinator. Well, if if your quarterback can't do it or your line can't block it or you don't have balance with your run game or your receivers aren't good enough. And we've talked about the lack of skill position. So, yes, I think they need to be more imaginative. I think they need to be less predictable. But I don't know how you I don't know where I would start if I was drawn on the whiteboard. (laughs) Right. Like, where are you trying to go with the football? Because you're very limited there. No doubt. And, you know, it, it, the, the news wasn't great today on the injury front, especially on the defensive side, because Dorian Strong is not going to play again this week. And he's their best cornerback by far. And so that that's going to be another struggle for them. Yeah. You know, it's I mean, if there's a week that you don't have to worry as much, I guess, to be missing strong. True. It's yeah. right now. But, yeah, you're, you're certainly better with them. That Tech's remaining schedule 
NC State, who I think, despite their, their situation at quarterback, and we talked about their questionable motivation going forward, um, they're the, the best remaining team uh, on this schedule. After that, the Hokies play Georgia Tech, another offensively limited team, especially if Sims is out. Mm-hmm. Duke, who I know that Duke, they got Miami, they got Virginia, and, and maybe I'm not giving them their due, but I, I just I don't see Duke as world beaters. No. Uh, Liberty, who interestingly enough was was number twenty six, they were the first team I left off my top twenty five ballot this week. Uh, came down to Liberty, South Carolina, and Oregon State. I went with South Carolina. Uh, shout out to Shane Beamer and Absolutely. the job he's doing there, five and two. Uh, and no, they have not uh, played the, the toughest schedule, but getting A and M uh, certainly a quality win. They got Kentucky, although uh, w- without Will Levis. Um, but my point being, Liberty, their only loss is a narrow loss uh, earlier in the year to Wake Forest. They are uh, a two-point conversion, right, away from yeah. um, being undefeated. And they uh, housed Brigham Young on yes. Saturday. In what was a marquee game in a way that if you've ever been down to Liberty, uh, yes. this was the moment they've been waiting for. Record crowd. Record crowd uh, to host a game uh, against an opponent of, of a national brand. You know, I think Liberty always feels like they're BYU light, right? Like they mm-hmm. want to be that school that that's known for, and that that certainly was a statement win for them. Uh, so I think that that could be, <laughs> you know, you look at that remaining schedule, and certainly then they end with UVA in the rivalry game. It's it's not exactly a murderous row, but that Liberty game, um, I wouldn't sleep on that one. And that's in Lynchburg. In Lynchburg, right? And and, and Liberty has already beaten Tech, and um, if you remember the Justin Fuente timeout before the block field goal game, COVID year. Yeah. So it, my point being, there are some potentially winnable games out there if Virginia Tech can get its stuff together. David, what do you think the odds are coming out of the open date with that schedule remaining that they get their stuff together? Well, if getting their stuff together, you mean getting bowl eligible? No, not going to make it. Now, could they win two or three more, get to four or five wins? Sure. But I don't see this team closing on a 4-1 binge to get to 6-6. Six and six. No, I agree 100%. But what if I mean by getting your stuff together, just playing, bet, finding an identity on offense, uh, pl- making some plays on defense? Uh, again, not that they're going to get to six wins, but what do we think the odds are that this break is what they needed and we're going to see a better brand of football from Tech here down the stretch? I think it's a coin flip, especially mm-hmm. since we, we don't have any real precedent with this coaching staff. Yeah, We've never seen this group handle this kind of situation and in fact they've never handled this situation because these are you know a bunch of guys who are in this position for the first time brent pry rookie head coach his coordinators are young and basically inexperienced so it's it's uncharted waters for them as well yeah it's, it's going to be fascinating to, to see what they do and uh, as you mentioned earlier vegas certainly uh, has their opinions on that. Well, we are joined now by Mike Sveditz, general manager of Front Page Bets. He's here every week to offer a little betting insight to our listeners. And uh, we're going to start with the, the two Commonwealth teams, but I got my eye on another ACC line. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute, Mike. First, how are you? I'm doing well, Mike. How are you, bud? I'm good. Always good to talk to you. Let, let's start with the Hokies. They're coming off that open date. 
they're playing an NC State team that, that's been disappointing. Uh, Devin Leary, the quarterback out for the year. Uh, you know, I, I think this felt like a year that NC State could maybe challenge Clemson, and, and certainly they're, they're still a, a rung below that. But the Wolfpack, they're a 13-point favorite at home Thursday night against the Hokies. Um, that line, I guess, was a little bigger than I was expecting. Uh, certainly no reason for Vegas to have a ton of respect for Virginia Tech. But what do you make of that spread? Yeah, I mean, with with Leary being out and the way Virginia Tech's playing, I, I, you'd like to you think it'd be, maybe be a little bit closer, but you know, Tech coming off that loss to Miami, then the bye week, maybe they try to figure something out. Two and five against the spread are the Hokies. They're they've only hit the over once. They're zero and three away, um, you know, from from Blacksburg. Um, you know, NC State five and five and two in the overall record, but they're also two and five against the spread, but four and oh at home. And I think if you look at it, you know, again, the trends it, it, with these teams, you know, we've, we've talked about it when you have, you know, some of these upper echelon teams, you can say, okay, you get some patterns, you can go by the trends. You can, you can look at the way they're playing, but when you have teams like Miami, Virginia, or excuse me, Virginia tech and North Carolina, and I would th- I would say that North Carolina has been a disappointment coming into the season where I, you know, I've said it before. I thought they were going to challenge Clemson for the ACC. Um, I think Leary's injury obviously threw a big monkey wrench into those plans and, and haven't, they haven't lived up to their expectations. But when you have teams like that, that, that just haven't really crossed over, I think you just kind of look at the numbers and say, you know, we're looking at a Virginia Tech team that 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 hasn't be, really beaten anybody. Um, and can't play offense. I mean, they're they're 116th in points, 102nd in yards per game. I mean, the best that they that they have on offense is passing yards per game, and they're 95th in the country with you know almost 200 or 214, 215 yards per game. So. Not a great offensive team. Definitely, you know, defense is playing better, but not great either. Um, you know, two touchdown, almost a two touchdown spread. I think you got to, I think you, until again, Virginia Tech beats somebody and can prove that they can play um, and handle an opponent um, of this caliber, I think you got to lean on NC State in, in, in that two touchdown spread. That makes sense. Now, now Vegas set a, a brutally ugly, I thought, 40 point over under. Uh, but you mentioned these are two offensively challenged teams. NC yeah. State's a great defense. So, Mike, as low as 40 is, you're, you're still thinking under. Yeah, because Virginia Tech's only hit the under once. North Carolina State's only hit it three times. It's hit the over. Um, when you when you look at, again, without Leary, uh, you've, got a, you've got a backup quarterback coming in. Um, you know, NC State, their offense hasn't been where it needs to be. They're only averaging 27 points per game. Um, you know, they're 85th in the country in yards. Um and 355 per game, you know, so if you got a 27 point um, points per game in NC state, Virginia tech's way below that, you know, just do the math. And I would think that, you know, if they get to 40 points as a total, that would be, you know, that'd be a barn burner. So to speak. <laughs> yeah. What are we looking at? Is that like 27, 13? Something yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you want to do 20, 20 and then whoever, you know, makes the extra point. Okay. Go. Yeah. We, we can go that way too. That that's brutal. And probably you're right. What we're in store for now, another matchup that again, it's so hard to know what to make of. I think these are two bad teams, right? We've got mm-hmm. Miami going to Virginia. Yes. Virginia's coming off the Georgia tech win. Their offense still hasn't figured anything out. Their special teams, Mike, as we discussed earlier in this podcast are just a, a flaming train wreck at this point. Uh, Miami, we don't know the status of, of Tyler Van Dyke at quarterback. They've been all under the map in year one under Mario Cristobal. Uh, they're a two-and-a-half-point favorite going to Virginia. What do you make of this one? Could this be the game where 
Brendan Armstrong and that Virginia offense finally shows what they can do. That I, I keep thinking it's going to happen. We saw the, I, I mean, the Georgia Tech ending. You know, I, I even though Virginia won that game, I just can't get it out of my mind. The quarterback running out of bounds on the final play of the game. I just, you know. It, it, but could this be the game that we see Virginia Tech's or excuse me, Virginia's offense show up? Miami, we've seen their offense play. You know, Tyler Van Dyke had a huge game and a loss earlier this season against Duke, even though they lost. Um, he's questionable. He didn't play the rest of the game. Left left with a um, you know an injury in the second quarter. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But it, if he plays. You might think, okay, this could be a shootout if he's healthy. But Virginia, I keep waiting for that Virginia offense, and I know you do, you as well. You know, you cover them every week. And could this be the the, the game that they that they break out? You know, Miami's offense is averaging more than 460 yards per game. Uh, they're 54th in the country, more than 30 points per game. But you know, when you look at Virginia, 122nd in points at just below 18 points per game, and 107th in offensive uh, total offense at 361 per game. It doesn't really bode well for this being a high-scoring game. I know the over/under is a little bit higher, definitely higher than the uh, than the Tech UVA game. But I, 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 I'm keep waiting for Brandon Armstrong to break out. Maybe this could be the game against the spread. Virginia is one five and one. Um, you know they're only two two and a half point favor or dogs depending on, on on what book you look at. Miami is three and four. Or excuse me, one and one and six against the spread. Um, I. I, I I just I keep waiting again. I keep saying this, but I keep waiting for that Virginia offense to break out. This might could be a game because Miami again is suspect. Virginia's at home, um, you know they're two and one at home. So maybe Virginia breaks out. I would say, you know what? Let's let's put some money on Virginia this week. No, oh, so rolling with the the red hot. Hey, the red hot. <laughs> they're red hot. After <laughs> one ugly win, where as exactly. you noted, Georgia Tech didn't even try to win the game on the final play. <laughs> red hot UVA is the pick there. For let's Mike. go. Before I let you go, I did want to ask you about one line that jumped out at me. Florida State is a 20-point favorite over those aforementioned Yellow Jackets from Georgia Tech. Now, Jeff Sims is injured. There's a good chance he doesn't play in this one. Florida State, I think, is the better team. On the money line, I'm taking Florida State. I get all that. 20 points seems like a lot for a Florida State team that isn't great. I feel like 20-point spreads are reserved for the big boys who are going to really put it on somebody. What do you make of Florida State? 20-point favorite over Georgia Tech. Well, I think any ACC team that's 20-point favorites not named Clemson, that's suspect. So, you know, and and maybe, you know, you're looking at the way the the Georgia Tech game ended against Virginia and you're saying, well, you know, maybe maybe the Yellow Jackets just quit. Uh, You know, let's let's make it a two, three touchdown uh, point spread. But, you know, it's just these are the games you want to stay away from because you just don't know if you're if you're putting money on a college football game. There's plenty out there other than this one that you could go after. I, these are one of those games I would I would stay away from. Georgia Tech, three and four against the spread, not bad. Florida State, four and three against the spread. Um, but I, you know that those are those are those are the the spreads. Anything and, and we were talking about this before. Anything over two touchdowns just feels suspect to me, unless it's just a juggernaut of offense coming in and saying, yeah, we know they're going to put up a lot of points. Uh, you know, advice to the betters out there: don't bet this game. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and honestly, I think sometimes the advice is stay away from the coastal division, right? Anybody <laughs> right. in the coast, who who in the coastal do you trust week in, week out to cover? And, and every you know week when you tell us what teams are against the spread, it just seems like nobody in the coastal right. is getting it done. Maybe we'll research that for next week, but it feels yeah. like that might be the worst division in all of college football against the spread this year. Anecdotally, it certainly feels like that. Well, Mike, we appreciate the tips. Thanks as always. And we'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thanks, Mike. Well, David, let's look around the rest of that ACC and uh, that Florida State point spread aside. Let's look over there in the Atlantic. Clemson certainly has, I don't know if I want to say reestablished because I don't know if they ever went anywhere, <laughs> but but they have certainly proven to be the one yet again uh, in that side of the league. How impressed are we with Clemson? Saturday's game against Syracuse was, <laughs> it was compelling now. You know, they're, they're down early and at, and at halftime what was it 21 10 21 10 at the half bench yeah. their starting bench, quarterback bench dj uyunglele in the second half after he threw a pick he had already had a strip sack or not a strip sack but he had botched a handoff right. on the zone read and all of a sudden you got a 90 yard scoop and score for for syracuse uh, which gave the orange its second touchdown of the game and Dabo Sweeney went for the hook, and here comes freshman Kate Klubnick in, and much like he did in the season opener under far different circumstances, because that game against Georgia Tech was in hand, and Klubnick comes in and drives him down the field, and everybody gets all giddy, and and Dabo's like, yo, 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 hold your horses here. This was the second team against the second team. We don't have any controversies here. And he took the same tact Saturday afterward yeah. and, you know, cut off the, the ESPN questioner post game and said, you can write this down. DJ's still our starter and there is no quarterback controversy here. And he, he compared Uyunglele. It's not a fair comparison because Uyunglele is not a Hall of Famer, at least not yet. But he compared him to, to Steph Curry. It says Steph Curry sometimes goes two for 20 and he needs to spend some time on the bench. And that's that's how he he phrased it. And but it will be really interesting to see if Clemson gets in a tight situation again, how quick Sweeney is with the hook. Right. And, and I think what's because I, I understand what Dabo's point. Right. And if you have an athlete who mentally can take that and he he knows his players. Right. Some quarterbacks, you pull them out, you never see them again. They don't have the mentality to bounce back. DJ has been through this, but the the concern is DJ was so shaky a year ago Mm -hmm. that when you pull him, it feels like, it feels like the weight of last season is on him still when that happens. Um, Now, maybe it's a better place right now. Hey, maybe you can take him out, sit him, go with the freshman, win the game and go back to him. And if you can, that's great. Um, That's a, that's a precarious spot to be in when, when you're juggling a quarterback that way, in my opinion. It is. Did you see the video of Uyunglele postgame? It's amazing. Number one, the fact that he came out and answered questions to begin with. And then number two, he backed his coach, said, I'd have done the same thing. And this is paraphrasing. He said, Dabo is responsible for all 130 players on this roster, not me. And I was like, damn. I mean, who wouldn't sign up? to have a quarterback who is that selfless and that poised to come out and you know face the heat post game and give those kind of answers 
Yeah. And that's what I mean about, you know, Dabo knows this kid. Mm-hmm. This kid went through a rough year last year. Media, fans, on the field, you know, it, there was a reason for all that scrutiny. But some of those, you know, Dabo's like any other coach. He's going to tell you, oh, that was good for him. It was a growth experience, a learning experience. Maybe it really was. And maybe this kid is, is kind of bulletproof now after going through such a rough spell. Um, and if he is, all the better for Clemson. David, is it Clemson or bust if, if we're talking about the college football playoff for the ACC? North Carolina seems to be establishing itself as the best team in the Coastal. I don't think people view them. I, I know people don't view them in the same breath as the top five or six teams in the nation right now. So if you're the ACC, your hopes are pinned to Clemson, yes? It certainly appears that way, Mike, because you're going to get at least one, maybe two from the SEC. You're thinking Ohio State or Michigan is going to run the table in the Big Ten. Is TCU going to run the table in the Big 12? You know, the Pac-12 no longer has an undefeated team since, since Oregon took care of UCLA last week. But if Oregon continues to play well, I think the Ducks will be a strong playoff contender. And, you know, Wake Forest is the second highest ranked ACC team out there. But since Clemson owns that tiebreaker against the Deeks, Clemson would have to lose both its remaining ACC games to not win a tiebreaker with Wake. And I think we both agree that ain't happening. You don't think so, certainly. And maybe irrelevant, because if they did, I think that that then hurts Wake. Yeah. <laughs> right? True. You know, you say, okay, yeah. well, then it's not. To me, I mean, I guess Carolina, their only loss is to Notre Dame. If Carolina ran the table and beat Clemson, Clemson in the ACC title game in any kind of convincing fashion, could they have an outside shot at it? Sure. Yeah, sure. Right. Um, but to me, I mean, if you're talking about a one-loss team, um, I'm thinking Alabama. <laughs> I'm thinking Oregon. I mean, Oregon to me, and yes, I remember w- w- what what happened in the Georgia game, but Oregon, to me, has been the best one-loss team in the country all, all year because they got their loss early. Um so I wouldn't give up on the Ducks. I, I think it's Clemson or bust if you're the ACC. Uh, is it North Carolina in the Coastal at, at this point? I mean, Pittsburgh has thrown some real head scratchers Ooh. at us. I mean, that 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 has gone off the rails. They were my preseason pick to oh, win the I division. Do. We've certainly covered UVA and Tech. Those teams are not in great shape. Um, Georgia Tech has had its issues. Duke has been inconsistent, though good at times. Uh, and, and Miami. <laughs> I don't think anybody here is betting any significant fortune or, or health or lives on Miami. So it's Carolinas to lose at this point, it seems like. Yeah, only only team in the division that has yet to lose a conference game, uh, you know, sitting there. In fact, they've got a two-game lead in the loss column. Yeah. I mean, Tar Heels 3-0, and and Duke and Georgia Tech are sitting there 2-2. Two and two. So absolutely. Mac Brown and the Tar Heels in firm control of the division. So we, we like the Tar Heels in the ACC Coastal. David, let's change gears a minute. How much do we like the Tar Heels in the ACC Basketball Conference? Because, oh. I mean, <laughs> that is... A lot. A, yeah. Uh, you know, where we're talking about maybe Mac Brown's club getting it sort of by default. Uh, doesn't feel like that way with Hubert Davis much. That is a loaded roster. It is, and preseason number one to, I don't think, to anybody's surprise after after reaching the, the, the national championship game uh, last season uh, against Kansas. 
So, you know, a lot of a lot of expectations on Coach Davis and Armando Baycott and that crew, but they're they're good enough to handle it. I was I was a little surprised that only three ACC teams <laughs> cracked the the AP preseason top twenty five. You know, you got Virginia there at eighteen. I forget where Duke checked in nine or ten in that range. Yeah. Uh, a whole bunch of other ACC teams were receiving votes. I thought Miami and Virginia Tech both had a good shot to be, to your yeah. point, to be in that top 25. Um, I think Notre Dame and Florida State are going to be very good this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but Miami and, and Tech were the two that I thought we, we would see. And, and maybe part of it, you know, and we've talked so much about this in, in Charlotte with the commissioner, the perception that the ACC was down. Did they shake that with their March performance? Or did the voters kind of revert to... Hmm. The regular season narrative, which was down here in the ACC, uh, as the commissioner mentioned, you got to come out of the gate strong. It's just the reality, fair or unfair. Uh, but I'm with you. I, I thought there'd be more uh, ACC teams. How about UVA? They, they come in at number 18 in the preseason poll, about right, about where you expected them? Yeah, I think that's fair. It's a team that did not make the, the, the tournament last season. But you know, as we've mentioned many times, when you return your top six scores, you welcome in some talented freshmen and a, and a guy from Ohio who's played 120 college basketball games. Including one in the NCAA tournament where he absolutely sent your team home. Yes. Getting hot from three, yeah. yeah. So a lot, lot of experience on that Virginia roster, and it's reflected in the non-conference schedule that Tony Bennett put together. I mean, they are they are playing some dudes now in non-conference. David, I enjoyed when we were in Charlotte and you asked Tony Bennett, and he, he kind of cut off your question because you said to him, Tony, if you schedule according to how good you think your team will be, how much you want to test them, and he stopped you and he said, what does that say about this year's team? And, <laughs> right. Uh, and, and then you guys both laughed. He said, yeah, it's a great and fair question. I, I think Tony thinks he has a good team, don't you? Right. I, I think he believes yes. this can be something special. It's, it's always interesting when a lot of guys are back because you, you could say, Hey, they weren't that good last year, right? <laughs> I mean, they were an NIT team. So you got everybody back. So great. You're going to be an NIT team again. I think with the pack line, I think with working in transfers like Jaden Gardner and Armand Franklin, to me, um, having those guys back in this situation, it really is a good thing. I expect this to be a, a much better team than a year ago. To me, the biggest challenge for Tony Bennett is going to be, how do you deal with the depth? Playing time. Right? Yeah. And he joked with me about, because in Italy... Uh, he sat three guys every yes. night. Three guys didn't dress. And at one point he, he joked can. to me, he yeah. said, should I, maybe I'll do that this season. Three guys won't dress on a given night. He's kidding. That won't be the case. But we did have an interesting discussion about the fact that at the end of the day, Tony Bennett's probably going to play about a nine-man rotation because mm-hmm. that's what he's done through most of his career. What's going to be fascinating this year is unlike recent years, it's not going to be the same nine same guys. Nine. Right. And that's going to be really interesting to watch. And if you guys remember, and David, you'll remember this, he did it with Jay Huff. He did it with Jay Huff where Jay Huff would not play for like three games in a row. And we would all want to write a story about Jay Huff being in the doghouse or, or not playing well in practice. And Tony would say, no, he's he's fine. He's doing everything right. It wasn't a good matchup for him. And then all of a sudden, here would come the Duke game. And, and Jay Huff would be <laughs> dunking from the free throw line and block seven shots, dunking from the free throw line. And you're like, there it is. And then you think the opposite. Now he's going to be the star. And then Tony puts him back on the shelf for a couple. I think there is going to be a lot. And I don't know who it'll be, if, if it's a Francisco Cafaro 
um, you know, Armand Franklin. I don't know which players, Tane Murray, are going to be most affected, but it feels like this is one of those years where we're going to write somebody off because they don't play two or three games in a row, and then they're going to play major minutes and be the key factor in, in important games. I'm not talking about garbage run in, in, in a bad non-conference game. I'm talking about like we talked about with Huff and Duke. Um, yeah. It's going to be fascinating to watch how Tony handles the personnel juggling uh, with that rotation this year. He's been national coach of the year on several occasions. <laughs> I think he can handle it. Yeah. You know, Jason Williford said to me, there's a lot of challenges when you have this much depth, but they beat the challenges when you don't have any Correct. depth. Um, the pieces are there. Uh, if you believe Tony Bennett is a great basketball coach, which I think I certainly do. Uh, I believe you do. Yes. You, you, you like to give him, uh, you like to give him the loaded weapon, right? <laughs> like, let's see what he can do with all of these pieces. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to basketball season. I think people are sleeping a little bit on, on Virginia tech, despite them winning, uh, the ACC tournament. And, you know, Mike Young was funny when he was asked about that. He kind of urges us to repeat that part of the question a lot, right? That, hey, you guys are the ACC champions. <laughs> Keep saying that. Keep bringing that up. But, uh, you know, I asked him about motivation, right? I said, I said, you guys have won a championship. Is it one of those deals where it drives you more? Is it one of those deals where you lose a little hunger? Is it one of those deals where you put it behind him? And he was sitting this in the breakout room and he was sitting at the table and he pointed over to Justin Mutz. And in, in the way only Mike Young can, he said, that guy didn't come back to piddle paddle around. Yeah. He came back to win. Right. Now, and Mike, you know what they came back to win? NCAA tournament games. Yeah, that's what's because missing. Because right? that what that is what fuels this group. Yeah. Because they have gone out in the first round each of the last two seasons, and that sits wrong with them. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that the ACC tournament win shows them that they're capable. Mm -hmm. But you still have to do it. And and I don't know exactly what piddle paddle around means but it's very mike young but but i think we take his meaning right yeah this he didn't come back for fun he didn't come back to play tiddlywinks with manhole covers as my mom used to suggest when i was a little kid i do uh yeah they came back to win they came back to have a strong seed and put themselves in position to win in march but david it's october so we got a little while to go before we we'll get we'll get to all that we're going to enjoy the rest of this football season we hope you all enjoyed listening today you can subscribe to teal and barber on apple podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods and please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer and yours truly. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week when we'll update my pickleball exploits. Pickleball exploits.